Welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. My name is Paul Tunner and I'm the founder of Pharma Forum. For this instalment, I'm speaking to Marie Ems, who is Head of Patient Engagement at Cineos Health, and Keith Fern, who is Vice President Strategic Partnerships for Eligo Health Research. Now, today we're going to be talking about the evolution of clinical trials, the impact of COVID, and critically how technology is playing a role in supporting patient enrollment and retention within trials and addressing some of the issues around diversity in trials. Marie, Keith, thank you so much for joining me. Obviously, today we're talking about the the opportunities and challenges with clinical trials. We know that patient recruitment and retention have been persistent challenges for pharma. So does the clinical trial paradigm need to significantly evolve? And and if so, in what direction? Thanks, Paul. Um, And thanks for for having us here today. I think that's actually a a really great question to, to start with. I think it was set up really well in our original article in that the metrics really haven't improved at all. 85% of studies really don't um, recruit on time or in budget, and yet we're only reaching a very small percentage of the overall population, but we're spending even more money and time on research. Um, Having said that, I think, you know, one of the key reasons for this is really when you look at where drug research is going. Sponsors are creating drugs that now really treat defined populations of patients. So, you know, we're looking for patients with specific biomarkers, and that actually really makes it much harder for us to recruit patients. Quite often, we're now looking for kind of what's considered that kind of like rare patient in a large population. And we really need to get smarter at finding those patients. I think personalised medicine has contributed to this increased effort we now have, and it's just making it harder. That's great, and and thanks, Paul, for for having uh, Marie and me, and and completely agree with what she said. I would add, in addition to the eighty five percent failure rate, we set our own timelines as an industry, so that that's even more of a of an indication that we have a problem, and we've had a problem. So it does need to evolve. Uh, it does need to shift. And, and we think that that's happening. And, you know, we, we think that, you know, as Marie said, it's only going to get more important that we go to what the industry's referred to real world uh, folks and, and really reach into where research has not been provided in the past. And that's healthcare. And, and so, um, you know, it, it really is is incumbent upon all of us to expand that population, expand into the areas where we can find these folks that we need for these very specific protocols. And the way to do that is to first admit we have a problem and two, change the way we're doing it. And I think those two things alone are starting to happen. So there is, there is some encouragement um, out there for us. As I think you've both outlined, you know, these are not new challenges, but the environment has changed. And you mentioned there, Marie, personalised medicine, which obviously is making trials in many areas almost a bit more like rare disease trials. And then we've had the double whammy of COVID coming along and causing even more disruption. So where do we go from here? What what kind of opportunities do you think that's created? We used to talk about the urban myth of finding the million dollar patient, and it was kind of a a myth that we all had within patient recruitment agencies that we really didn't want to be 
the person working in that team that only found one patient. Yeah, our clients spent millions of dollars on traditional media campaigns. Sure. I think, you know, to a certain extent, I think we still see vendors kind of approach recruitment in that way. Thankfully, you know, we're not working with them. But I think, you know, now we're we're living in a world where we have access to a lot of data. And like it or not, when you look at what we have at our fingertips now with social digital analytics, um, we know what patients are talking about. We know where they're hanging out. We know which channels they follow, what they like. We know even how, you know, what language appeals to them, what resonates to them so we can draw them in. And I think, you know, you look at the work that we've been doing with StudyKick and I think, you know, just looking at their communities, they've been able to reach over six million patients and connect them to studies, you know, in real time in parallel with Elego and, and, you know, Keith will talk about this, you know, just the access that we have to electronic medical records and just being able to really find patients with a specific diagnosis has really kind of like started to help us accelerate. And I think, you know, quite honestly, that's one of the reasons why, you know, Sinius has made, you know, some specific investments um, in both our acquisitions of folks like StudyKick, but also in our terms of our partnerships with Elego, because I think that kind of, evolving approach and, and he's talking more about the Elego approach is really kind of the one way that we're actually going to be able to take this step forward together because I think to Keith's point it's not just about admitting the problem but it's also about kind of coming together and actually being able to find a solution because I don't honestly think there's going to be one company that has the one sole solution that's actually going to really help us improve our recruitment metrics. Oh, that's great Marie and and you know, I would add, Paul, that we agree. And, and the difference for us is, is we really use the data and our data partners like Cerner and Harris to access those EHR patient records and split patient identification at the beginning of a study from enrollment. And I think that's very important because right now as an industry, the reason we have this failure rate so high of enrolling on time and on budget, we believe is because we throw all of the risk into the enrollment period. We do a lot of work to identify sites and hope they have the patients based on some information provided, but those are all unknown patients when we start enrollment. And what we really want to do is have known patients. And the only way you do that is to access data, use that data to drive you to the patient's and then operationalize around those patients with those sites and with those physicians who are the physician of record of that patient. And only then, once you have identified all of the patients that you need, should you green light and move forward because you've de-risked the enrollment. And that's the way we can affect that failure rate is to go into enrollment with a much higher certainty that we have the patients, they're known to us, they're known to the physician. We've already done a significant amount of vetting of those patients through chart reviews and talking with their own physician so that we do know that we are going to enroll not only on time and on budget, but in an accelerated fashion in many cases, because we're not actually using the enrollment period to find patients. We've already done that. You touched on data there, Keith, which obviously is a key factor in this. The best technology in the world is not going to be effective without the right data underpinning it. So how's that situation evolving? Yeah, it's a great point, Paul. And, and you know, we really believe that data is key and, and technology can take us so far. But finding the patients has to be started with 
the data. And so for us, we use patient records um, and EHR access. That's one of the tenets of our model is, is that all the folks we work with, we have access to their EHRs. So we get a good start of what is that first cut of patient look like when we go in and search for the patients. And we're talking about 145 million lives that we have access to. So you get a, a good first cut of those patients that are available through that initial search. And then that data leads you to where those patients are. So you're exactly right. And, and we think that's the, the right approach rather than going into studies unknown uh, to the, the patient population or the patient population being unknown to uh, the, the, you know, the, the company and, and the physicians, we'd much prefer to use that data to drive us to where the patients are and then move from there. It's a, it's a better, in our mind, a better model and, and how if we were starting today and it was Marie and you and I um, designing you know, how we would do this, we believe that's how we would do it. We wouldn't just reach out and bring sites on board and hoping. Yeah, and historically, I guess, as you look across different geographies, if you're doing global recruitment, there's all kinds of different data collection systems and the way health systems operate. Are you seeing that start to unify? Or are you seeing technology help in kind of unifying that picture? Yeah, so um, I'll jump in and, and Marie, please chime in too. We, we do, and, and we utilize, you know, our data science team does a great job in doing that initial search and then ongoing, we, we use um, technology to help us with chart review, uh, as well as outreach and retention. We have technology tools there as well. Um, so absolutely. And, and, you know, for us, we really focus on patient identification and enrollment, and then all of the services uh, like home health that we can provide through that patient journey. And we use technology wherever we can, but we never lose sight of the fact that these are patients and they are you, they are me, they are Marie, they're everybody uh, that is out there that may at some point benefit as a, from research as a care option. So technology is great and we use it at a very substantially in our model, but ultimately we're really driving to bring those patients uh, from healthcare into research and make it a care option, just like how they receive uh, you know, their medical uh, treatment from their physicians. Yeah. So we've talked a bit about, you know, the, the data there and you've outlined how important that is. But this is not all about technology. Technology can solve some of these challenges, but probably needs to go beyond. So, so how else are you seeing the clinical trials paradigm shift? So I think for, from my perspective, that when we look at and maybe this and um, I'm kind of like jumping kind of a bit too forward in this. But I think you have you can't really kind of talk about this shift in the paradigm without really thinking about the impact of COVID. And I think, you know, when, and again, it kind of, you know, I think because I've been in this industry a long time, I look for, you know, even what we were doing five, 10 years ago, and even getting clients on board, we're thinking about how we use technology, how we interact with patients on a clinical trial. You know, quite often we'd have pushback from clients like, oh, patients don't want to receive a text message. They don't want to receive a text message from their, you know, their site. We can't do that. Yet every day we receive text messages from anyone else outside of that. And it just kind of, and it just, it was a very much a, a difficult conversation to have with a client. I think since COVID, we actually had to accelerate some of these and kind of get past a lot of the roadblocks 
that we had in the past and you know from a decentralized solutions but i think this is the thing like over the past 18 months we've all been talking about decentralized solutions kind of the answer to everything that we have within research and i think when you kind of like look at how we've come out of covid lockdown and how we've kind of started to look at how patients still want to interact with their healthcare providers you know for many patients they still want that physical connection and for us that kind of we have the ability through that hybrid approach to really ensure that we're making it easier for patients to participate we're making it easier you know, we're trying to make it easier for sites to um, manage study participation and i think that's one of the challenges that we probably will want to come on to talk about because i think as part of this paradigm shift it's kind of looking at how can we find the right patients? Where can we, you know, where are we going to find them? And I think to Keith's point, Keith can very easily, you know, through his um, data assets, have actually been able to really target and locate where patients are and then ensure that there's a site close by to that patient. But with all of that, it kind of comes to that hybrid approach that we've now got a huge arsenal of technologies at our fingertips. Yeah. It's how we use them to our best capabilities and actually ensuring that we're using the technology to kind of help patients and not add increased burden. And I think that's kind of going to be the tipping point as we move forward together. Yeah, you're right. And COVID obviously is its own massive topic. But if there is a silver cloud from COVID, it has drived a lot of this adoption of technology and digital techniques, in some cases, which have been around for a number of years but it needed that kind of catalyst. So, yeah, Keith, let me come to you on that. I'm interested to get your views on how you've seen COVID change things and, and perhaps accelerate some of this technology. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we have seen that. And significantly more interest in diversity, speed, and very much uh, the, the ability to find the right patient for the right study um, is is key. And, and so as Marie talked about, using data to start and then actually going to where the patients are and engaging them and allowing them to participate with their own physician does a couple of things, right? One, it makes their patient journey much more comfortable. We would all be much more amenable to participating in a clinical trial if our own physician asked us or recommended us to do so versus if they recommend a clinical trial that's 20 minutes or 200 miles away. Uh, it's just very logical because that's how we receive our healthcare. You, you bring the folks into the same practice, the same waiting room, the same check-in procedures. Everything is really very much familiar to them and they're participating with a known physician uh, as well. So that's number one. And number two, when you operate within healthcare, you, you operate within a much more diverse environment by definition. And, and we've seen that at Elego, not because we set out to uh, bring uh, a large population of diverse patients, but we set out to operate within healthcare. And by definition, we are going to have, and the, and the data bears it out, a more diverse set of patients participating in the trials because we're in places like El Paso and Laredo and Texas or Kansas City or, or uh, you know, rural California. Um, all these folks that did not have access to research previously and are very qualified to participate because of their, uh, the data tells us they are. And then when you get into doing chart reviews and using technology to look at unstructured data and then talking with their physician, these are very well qualified and interested patients. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I want to talk about diversity because I think that is an important topic. But just before I go there, and while we're talking about COVID, the topic of the moment, uh, and certainly hoping that COVID will go away at some point in the next 12 months, I'm just interested to get your views on how much of this change will stick, or do you think there's a risk of us perhaps going back to some of the old ways? I'll jump in on that one to start, Marie. And and we think it's absolutely going to stick because we we don't think that the going back um, method is is even viable, right? In other words, we don't think it's going to go away. Um, we still think that the traditional model will will certainly uh, be there for a while, but we see the shift happening and and continuing beyond COVID studies. So COVID really accelerated it. But we're engaged in a whole lot of different therapeutic areas, and we are seeing the demand for not only better rates of enrollment, uh, meaning we need to do this better, we need to we need to accelerate our ability to complete studies, but with rescue studies now, and 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 Eligo and Cineos are working together on on a couple of studies that have taken a traditional approach into COVID. Obviously, COVID impacted those studies. And, and, and sponsors are willing to change their approach now from where they were to where they're going to realize that if we identify patients up front, if we do a different model to finish these studies, that will go faster than where we were headed previously. And so, no, we, we think it's absolutely going to stick. And we're seeing it on studies like, like those that I mentioned that are, that are in need of help, as well as a lot of new studies that are looking to do an innovative a type of approach to find patients. Sure. Is that an optimism that you share, Marie? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, the one thing COVID really did was, was it really brought health disparities to the forefront of everything in our lives. And, you know, moving forward, we know that we need to reach more patients. You know, we can't accept that. I think it was in the article, it was three to four percent metric of the, the total population participates in research. And that's just dire. Let's be honest, it's, yeah. it's just awful. And we need to be reflective of disease demographic, and we're not. And, and, we, and, and I think to, to Keith's point, it's, you know, we need to be where patients are. And that's historically something that we've not done. I think historically, you know, feasibility teams, site ID teams would kind of, you know, we'd all look at the same sites over and over again. We go to the same list of sites and we can't do that. Um, and I think, you know, just looking at the site side, it, you know, there's still always going to be a need for a brick and mortar site. That's not going to go away. But I think there are other elements that we can bring in to support patients and to support sites in actually helping to reduce that burden um, so that, you know, the patient isn't having to come back to the site for every visit, that they can do, you know, they can do a telemedicine visit. Um, we, you know, we've got the, the nurse. Um, the, the home nurse visits that we can do and you know from a, a senior health perspective you know we have Illingworth that the nurses can go to patients homes or to their places of work to conduct tests um you know I think it, it comes back to to the comment that you know I think we made up front about you know we're making investments in able to actually help move forward and it's kind of looking at how we can actually kind of take the learnings from COVID and actually ensure that it's that hybrid approach that we move forward with. Because I think, you know, that was really what Keith had summarised very well. Um, we, you know, we can't discount what we had to do last year, but a lot of what we did last year, you know, 
it has to be kind of a many, you know, there has to be kind of like elements that will just evolve over time to kind of fit yeah. alongside the way that they, those sites work. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the overall proportion of patients that have access to trials or are involved is, is way too low. But as you both touched on there, when we look at patient diversity, demographics and particularly socioeconomic demographics we know that picture is even worse so i'm really interested to hear your thoughts around you know what you've seen that's potentially improving how you think that will continue to shape trials and are we seeing because of this digitization are we seeing some early improvement in those numbers i mean i can go first on this one um keith and yeah i mean i think diversity is something we talk about a lot it's something that i think is probably in every kind of big defence meeting we attend these days. And, and, and rightly so, we need to take a study to the patient population that's kind of, you know, that, that really reflects that that real world data as, as Keith had referred to earlier. And we need to make sure that we're making it easy for patients to participate in research. And it really starts kind of like looking at the sites themselves. We know that many sites have very strong relationships with patients. And actually we call them sites, you know, for some of these physicians, they may not have ever actually conducted research yeah. and we need to kind of help them kind of like onboard them into like the world of research, kind of like help them kind of like establish themselves as a site that we can work with to kind of have access to their patient populations. And we know that a lot of these um, sites who don't have access to patients are actually doing a lot within their local communities. I talked to sites here in New York City and you know they're, they're they're going out they're talking to you know they're talking to church pastors they realize that they're not necessarily the, the person that you know that particular patient would you know necessarily knock on the door first time to but they know through kind of like working with the local pastors and local working with other church leaders that they're able to kind of make you know have more of a presence and actually kind of like start to build up a relationship with the community that yeah. quite honestly just really wasn't on their radar and I don't think it's that we've actually kind of closed the door previously um, on, on different diverse populations. It's just that there was a lot of distrust on one side, that, and that's the bit we need to fix. But it's also there was a large population who really were are not and actually still not really aware of the opportunities that exist um, within research for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, we're talking here about um, recruitment into trials. But of course, once you've recruited the patients, then retention is also an issue. I was, I was actually told a story. I was at a conference recently. I don't know if this is true. You may do. But somebody was telling me one of the main reasons for dropout from trials was lack of suitable parking at the trial sites, which is staggering when you think about it. So, I mean, Keith, let me come to you on this. I'm just really interested in your views on, on how you see this evolving to support not just that recruitment of patients but keeping them engaged yeah absolutely and and just to follow up on the diversity um paul i i think marie's absolutely right and you know with elego we went back and looked at two years of data from may of 19 to may of 21 and we run at about a third of our patients enrolled in trials non-white meaning that's about two and a half times the industry average. And as you know, Marie, and you know, probably 12 to 13, sometimes you can see as high as 15%, but we're running at a third. And, and that, again, that's simply because we're in healthcare. We're where the patient diversification represents the country. 
And, and so the ability to operationalize and bring those positions into research, which is what Elego has been doing for five plus years by bringing sites up and making them research ready and providing all of the resources that they need in order to offer research as a care option brings diversity into the industry. Yeah. And it's, it's really important, we think, to continue to drive toward those areas that healthcare has not um, brought research in. And, and that's where, you know, we really focus and work with CINEOS to expand that diverse population. Yeah. yeah and so works. I think that's a big and very positive change for sure. Yeah, we're really excited and we don't expect those numbers to change. We think they'll continue as we expand uh, further. And and to your question about, um, you know, getting folks and then retaining folks, again, you know, for us, it's, um, I agree with your comment about we need to make this easier uh, and, and make it uh, to get these numbers from three to 4% up higher. We have, we focus on also the user uh, meaning the physician and and the research coordinator at the site. So we built what we uh, have is our proprietary technology stack called Intelligo. And it is, it is the full CTMS patient journey source, everything that all of our practices utilize. And it focuses on the user. So our, we've gotten great feedback and always go to our physicians in healthcare to find out what else can we do to make it easy for them to participate in a trial from start to finish, as well as the coordinator so that you know, as an industry, we all know we've made this difficult. There's a lot of regulatory requirements. There's yeah. a lot of, um, you know, crossing of T's and, and dotting of I's. And we want to make this as easy as possible as we reach into healthcare, bring more diverse populations. We need to provide those tools. And for us, that's some technology like Intelligo to make it easy for those physicians and the staff and the patients to participate. And, you know, as far as retention, that really speaks directly to the physician participating with their own patient and the patient participating in a place that they're familiar with. They've been there. There isn't a lack of parking, right? They know where they park every time they go to exactly. that doctor's office. So, you know, we really believe that that retention, and we've seen it in our numbers, and Cineos, um was, was uh, very, has always been a great partner in comparing our both enrollment and, and retention numbers, how Elego is performing, and and we've always performed well uh, against uh, you know against the industry with both those enrollment and retention numbers because we believe uh, of our model. Yeah, and it, what you said there is a great reminder that technology is part of the solution here, but I think as you eloquently outlined, it's about engaging with the different stakeholders, about engaging with the patients with their day-to-day physicians, with the clinical trial coordinators and taking that more cohesive approach, isn't it? Yes, absolutely agree. And and we we really try to focus every day on believing all of us eventually will be participants and patients in clinical research. That's really one of the things we bring uh, every day to the to the office is, you know, think of yourselves as that patient as you go through. And would you be comfortable in that journey? Is there a hurdle there that that's going to be making it difficult? And, and I think the more we can identify, as you said, um, with all of the stakeholders, the better we're going to be as an industry and in doing a better job with those metrics that Marie pointed out. Yeah, which to some degree is a scary thought that we all at some point will probably be patients and potentially in clinical trials. But you know, then if you speak to patients that have been in clinical trials, for sure, they want to see some benefit very often for themselves, but they also know 
that by taking part, there is benefit for a much broader population. And we've talked a bit about the, the recruitment and retention there. I wanted just to talk about the insights that we're gathering through, through clinical trials, because, I mean, there are still, as you know, clinical trials run where there's paper records and paper diaries, and it means you're potentially getting incomplete information or, or losing information. So where's technology making a difference there? Are we gathering new insights or more robust insights? We are, um, definitely. I think we're we're challenged when you look at it from a site perspective is just the sheer number of systems that we're asking sites to collect data through. So, you know, I think, you know, we referred to this in, in the article that if a site's working on seven or eight different studies, they could have seven or eight different platforms that they're working through. And that's a huge right. burden. So I think there is that balance of the insights that are critical to the study that we want to collect. And, you know, what, what is it that we actually need to collect as part of the data collection you know versus you know there is that middle ground of what's nice to have because it's going to actually help us improve it's going to help us evolve it's going to help us move forward and actually be smarter with enrollment and retention but also on the flip side of that on the other bucket is actually just looking at site burden and i think that's the bit for me that you know i was at a conference recently and the overriding um, kind of concern that came from sites was just the sheer amount of time they're spending on training and admin sure. across multiple systems because they're not, all, you know, they're not able to use even at a site level. They're not able to use just one system. It's very much driven by you know sponsors, CROs, you know, our, you know our, our partners, kind of telling them what they're going to have to use. And I think that's where it kind of starts to get difficult because. It's then kind of, you know, it, it, it's then, you know, we're removing burden from patients because we're actually getting better insights and we're understanding how to better kind of work with them through the study um, period. But then we're making it harder for sites themselves to participate. And I don't know, Keith, I'd be interested in, in your thoughts here. Uh, yeah, we, we agree. And one of the benefits of Intelligo being used at all of the Elego practices is exactly what Marie said. It's a single system, a single sign-on. It is the collection of source. It's CTMS. Uh, it, it is basically capturing all aspects of the patient journey, including reminders of them to do certain things in the protocol, whether that's a diary entry or what have you. Um, we utilize Root Health, which is an acquisition we made earlier this year to help us as a chatbot with reminders, rescheduling. Um, it's It uses AI as a tool to reach out to patients and do those types of things. But again, one, one sign on one system for all of the practices within Elego absolutely make a difference. And then the data that's collected in Intelligo. So the diversity data that I provided earlier came directly from Intelligo because we collect all of that data. We have the ability to do that type of analysis and will continue to grow all of that data. So yeah, we, we agree it's difficult. Uh, we make it difficult as an industry with the different systems. And so we've taken the approach of, if we're gonna go into healthcare and we're gonna bring these patients and physicians into research, which is what we've been doing for over five years, we have to make it easy for them and we have to make a single sign on and we have to be able to use that data down the road to make better decisions. Uh, going forward. So yeah, we're we're continuing to be optimistic there. 
Yeah, and I can see the clear benefits at point of data collection, both in terms of training those using the systems, but also, I guess, completeness of the data that you're getting from the patient. But I love that point you made there, Keith, about actually downstream of there, when you're then analysing the data, if you've got a single system where it all speaks to each other, I guess that's going to save a heck of a lot of time. It will save a heck of a lot of time. And, and ultimately, that time is money and, and drugs to market. And, and I think we all know that that's key. We've seen data on every day saved and what that financially means to sponsors. And that's important. But more important is every day that a drug is to market sooner is what that means to the patients who need it. And so, you know, the focus of splitting patient identification, doing that very heavy feasibility work up front before you actually start enrollment, that accelerates the ability to get a drug to market. The ability to have one system in all of those sites within healthcare and our practices that are participating, that ultimately accelerates getting a drug to market. So yes, you're exactly right. All of the things that we're focused on doing are to accelerate getting those drugs to market. And if we play that forwards, I know none of us has a crystal ball and, and our dear friend COVID keeps reminding us of that. But if we play that forward over the next few years, it feels like this has been a bit of a catalyst for getting more technology into clinical trials, which could see the trial process evolve a bit quicker. So I'm really interested in your views on where you think we could get to in the next few years. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, I think so. I think the the challenges that we have right now are kind of almost like the growing pains of coming out of COVID, where we've had a market that's been flooded, like literally flooded with lots of technology platforms and I think to be fair like many of them are really smart many of them you know you look at them from a patient's perspective they have gaming they you know they have the interactivity um, that patients you know have you know in all of our the rest of our lives and it's you know it's quite it's quite incredible how quickly a lot of these technologies came to market I think what we will see is more of a consolidation of you know which ones are actually going to make it through and and it's and I think it's going to be key to the integration I think to Keith's point that everything can happen within you know the Elego platform for for the Elego sites you know it's just it's just one platform they log into um I was having a conversation with um StudyKick the other day about one of their apps and you know the fact is is that they have the integration with ERT that then enables them to actually ensure that patients only have that one app that they need to log into. And I think that's kind of where we're going to see over the next few years of what's going to be that, you know, what what will single sign-on really look like? And I think, you know, it's probably going to be a little different to what it's like right now. And I can't, yeah. honestly, I don't have that crystal ball, Paul, <laughs> I'll be honest. But I think it's, I think there's definitely going to be some kind of evolution in terms of just, it's just not practical what we're asking of sites right now i think it's and i think in some ways it's more it's going to be driven more from a site need than a patient need because i think the technologies that we have absolutely kind of meet the you know meet the needs from a retention perspective and i think that's all you know we've come a long way having you know the focus now on retention because for so much so many years it was all on enrollment we've actually kind of shifted that retention is important it's important that we're kind of collecting data from patients remotely and we have the technologies, we have the wearables to do it, but we actually now need to look at what makes sense from a site perspective. 
and how can we ensure that we're reducing the burden from them so they're still able to conduct the study to you know to kind of submit you know like high quality yeah. data yeah no I think, great point i think particularly as with all the technology in the world as you know many studies still have relatively long follow-up periods so without that retention we're going to be missing critical data keith i'm interested in your thoughts on where you think we're going to head from here yeah, I, I think we're going to continue to make it easier for patients and for physicians to participate. Um, it's it's no different than other industries where that demand continues. And whether we think of ourselves as customers when we log on to Amazon, we don't know all the technology that's behind when we make an order. But we know that over the years, they continue to make it easier, better faster, more, more convenient for us. And that's the same thing that has to happen behind the scenes for the patients and for the physicians. And we continue to make those investments as well so that those patients and those physicians participating, it gets easier for them. It gets technology continues, whether it's through uh, Root Health, Intellego, our data science ability to continue to identify enroll and retain, all of those things will still be there. As Marie said, we have to continue to do those three things and technology will continue to evolve to support all three of them because the demand isn't going anywhere. It yeah. has to happen. And so we know that the industry knows that. And, and as Marie said, they're making investments in that regard and, and as is Elego. Yeah, and as you both outlined, I think we've seen this in other sectors where you have a rush of technology and a rush of innovation, and at some point it settles down, the good stuff rises to the top, you get this consolidation, and it kind of just works and doesn't get in the way, does it? Right, and and that's ultimately where we want to get to. And, and when you think about research as a care option, ultimately all of the medical treatment that all of us receive from our physicians, there's technology a lot of times involved in some of that treatment, but we don't necessarily need to know each of those advances other than it keeps improving and it keeps getting better for physician and patient. It should be no different for research. It, it, it really needs to be the same. And that's what we're seeing is that patient and physician dyad is important and the technology needs to support making it continually easier for them to participate and for them to remain in the study and, and to gain benefits from being in the study. And, and simple things like at the end of a study, letting them know what their data that was provided did, how that benefited the overall study and, and the insights that were provided. There's some things that we're looking at now, and, and, and I know that Cineos is as well, about just follow up with patients and physicians to let them know how their participation benefited the study. Um, and 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 where the next steps are. So yeah, there's there's a tremendous amount of upside, and and we're really excited about about that. And just in brief, and the answer to this maybe no, I appreciate because we we've had a good conversation about there's a number of different technologies coming together and engagement. But as you look over the next four or five years, is there a particular element of technology that you're really excited about within clinical trials that could be a big game changer? trying to think about that Keith I mean I think so I think for me the key to all of our success will be actually reaching populations of patients we haven't been able to access 
And I think, you know, and I use that word access because I think, to be honest, we know how to find them. We know where to find them. But it's just making that connection and making that kind of, yeah, that that strong connection with the site. And I think, I think that the bit that's the bit for me of really being able to, you know, dive into, I don't know, Keith, it might be Elego 2.0, of like being able to really kind of like access patient health records with the, you know, within these kind of like really small communities to then be able to I mean because that's going to give us such a huge increase in just the total number of patients we'll be able to enroll and access or have access to enroll on our clinical studies and I think that's the bit for me that's kind of that's going to be the big thing of like being able to to kind of yeah be smarter at accessing local communities and I'm and off the top of my head, Paul, I can't tell you which technology that's going to be right now, <laughs> but it'll probably come to me five minutes after we close. <laughs> Thank you. Kate? Yeah, and, and Paul, I think Marie's absolutely right. We we know as an industry and at Elego and at Cineos, there's an abundance of patients. There's not a lack of patients. We talk about it in the industry sometimes as we can't find the patients. That's that's different than saying the patients aren't there. The patients are there. There's an abundance of patients. And, and so the ability to use technology and, and, you know, with Elego, our data partners like Cerner and Harris, and we continue to add on and having access to 145 million patient lives within healthcare is massive because that technology brings you to what Marie just said, which is into areas in healthcare, in rural communities, and finding the patients that have not had an opportunity to participate and participate with their own physicians. So yes, it's technology, but it's also the whole change of the, of the outlook and process and taking an approach of there's plenty of patients. Let's use the tools. Let's go forward with what we have to find those patients, which is you know really Elego's core model and bring those patients into clinical research trials and then retain them through all of the efforts we've talked about. So, you know, we continue to make investments through our data science and tech teams to do exactly that. Um, and we're really excited about, you know, where we're headed and, and continuing to drive that 145 million number up in the United States. And as we expand uh, into other parts of the world with other data partners. So ag agree completely that technology is at the forefront and the focus is on expanding patient opportunity into research. Well, let me thank you both very much for sharing your insights. It's been a great discussion. Uh, you know, amazing to hear about how you're driving better clinical trial engagement. And of course, that drives better outcomes. So wish you every success for the future. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Marie. Great Thanks, to Keith. see you both. Take care. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily or weekly email pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins. And of course, follow us on Twitter, where we are Pharma Forum.